Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be in your presence. And we are grateful to be in your presence, not because we are good, but because we are yours. So Father, no one needs this message more than me. So speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you may have seen the topic for today, and you may be thinking that this will not apply to you. We have a wide variety of people in this room and in this church family. We have children with moms and dads. We have children with one parent. We have children with four parents. And we might even have children with no parents. We have singles. We have parents that are single. We have married. We have divorced. We have remarried. And we have widowed. We have parents who are about to be parents for the first time. We have parents who are dropping their kids off at kindergarten soon. We have parents that are taking their last child to college and are now entering the season of the empty nest. We have wayward children and we have faithful children. We have relationships between children and parents that vary greatly depending on distance or sin or even death. We have a wide variety of people in this room. Wherever you find yourself this morning, a lot of us have children because we have over 400 children at this church, so I know we have a lot of children. I know a lot of you will have children, and I'm pretty sure that all of you at one time were children. Also this morning, every Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, it means that you experience God as our Father, so pay attention. This morning, I'm not going to try to cover everything on parenting that can be said on this topic. Instead, my aim, like James last week on marriage, is to lay a foundation, to give you a few building blocks that you can build a family or a society on. Good news for you is that Nancy McMahon sitting over here, our Director of Children's Ministries, and Carolyn Sinclair, our Director of Care, they're offering a class at 11.30 on, in the fall on parenting. And so if you have any questions or uh, you don't like anything I say, go to their class in the fall at 11.30 and they'll clean it all up. You know, I do think that by nature, most of us in this room love our children dearly, but we need the truth of God to love them wisely. So the first building block from Proverbs is this, is that the Father gives us children. They are beautiful gifts from the Lord. Look at Proverbs 17.6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. 29.17. Children are a delight and a rest. And Psalm 127.3 is explicit. Children are a heritage or gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. What does this mean? What does this mean for our biblical worldview? It means that we view children as a glorious gift from the Lord. It means that we do not think that children are an inconvenience 
an accident, an obstacle, a punishment, or a random collection of atoms. It means that we believe that our children were designed by our Heavenly Father, given their DNA and traits and abilities, knit together in their mother's womb with a stamp of in my image. You know, Proverbs illustrates this because most of the book of Proverbs was written as a resource for teaching wisdom to young people. It was to be used in a home setting. If you look at Proverbs 4, there's a grandfather, a father, a mother, and a son all represented. Most commentators group the first nine chapter, chapters as a father's invitation to wisdom for his children. And the topics that he covers are the topics that we've been covering in this sermon series. That we're to instruct our children about words, feelings, Marriage, sex, friendships, wealth, pleasure, work, and more. So much of the book of Proverbs is devoted to giving wisdom to our children. Why? Because they are glorious gifts from the Lord. You know, you don't even actually have to have the Bible tell you that our children have worth or that connotation that they have weight in our lives. If you know children or if you have children, you know that children will enable you to experience despair and delight. You will experience despair and delight in a day, in an hour, or even all within five minutes. I remember when our second son, Hudson, was born, the sheer delight of holding him in my arms and then the sheer despair when he wasn't breathing well and the doctors had to take him and to run tests and then the delight of him being okay. We know children are gifts. We know that they have weight because we experience their worth. A lot of you may have even experienced this on Facebook this week when you see the haunting photo of a five-year-old Syrian boy sitting alone in an ambulance confused and covered in blood. We know that children have worth. Friends, because children are created in the image of God, here's a few applications for you. It means this. It means that we value children because they are image bearers, not because they are product makers. We value our children because they are made in the image of God, not because of what they can produce. That means we do not murder unwanted children. We do not put down disabled children or cast them off when they can no longer serve us, as Peter Singer once suggested. What else does it mean? It means this. It means we value children because they are His not because they make us feel good about our lives. We don't let their success define us because we do not own them. They are not required to make us happy. They are not required to validate us. They are not required to live our dreams as a mulligan. That is not a do-over to get into the college that you never got into. A third application of children being made in the image of God is this. We value them. Because God gave them to us and not someone else. We serve a God who is all-powerful and all-loving and who makes no mistakes. 
So if God gave your children to you, it means that through the good and the bad, through the ups and the downs, He has a purpose designed for His glory and our good. Now, I need some audience participation. If you are a child or a youth, that means if you're 18 or under, you need to look around at all the adult faces in this room and you need to say, I am a glorious gift from the Lord. Repeat after me. I am a glorious gift from the Lord. They're unsure. You had a lot of fights on the way to church, I can tell. (laughs) Now, parents and every adult in this church family, look at all those young faces around you and say, you are a glorious gift from the Lord. Say it. Excellent. Children are a beautiful gift from the Lord. That's the first building block. The second thing we need to see to build a wise theology of children is this. The Father tells us children are rebels. They are sinners. That may be easier for you to believe. Proverbs 22.15, it says, Folly is bound up where? In the heart of a child. Other places in the Bible, in Genesis 8, it says, For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And Isaiah 48.8 says, And that from before birth you were called a rebel. And according to Proverbs, children need what? They need instruction, teaching, words, insight, commands, understanding, discipline, reproof, precepts, protection, and truth. Why? Because from birth, we are self-centered creatures. Children are a glorious gift made in His image, but they have been marred by the imprint of sin. If you think about it, it makes sense. We don't have to teach or to discipline our children to disobey or to be bad. We have to teach and discipline our children to be good or to be moral. Why? Because it's in their nature. It's like a lion. I wanted to bring a lion up here as an illustration. James said no. I don't know why. If I had a hungry lion up here on the stage and I put a big hunk of antelope meat over here and a bowl of raisin bran over here, I know which one I'm betting on. Ten times out of ten, the lion is going to eat the red meat. Why? Because it's in the lion's nature. Our children have a nature. They have a bent to rebel and to make sinful choices. If you've been in this church before, if you've experienced an infant baptism Don't freak out, all you Baptists. You can call it a dedication if you like. (laughs) What's the first question that we ask the parents? Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? It's a doctrine, a theology of children that we start with that they are rebels from birth. Children are marred by the imprint of of sin. So what does this mean for us? It means several things. First, it means we are going to be exhausted by them. They are a colossal challenge. 
It's even, if you think about it, it can be a challenge to even become pregnant. And then once you are pregnant, you've got nine to ten months of morning sickness. And then once you give birth, I'm told that it's painful. And not to mention the cost of childbirth. And then when you bring that child home, then they might have an earache. And they might scream for two to three hours. And you have no idea why. And your wife's at work. And maybe I'm the only one that experienced that or my story. (laughs) Colicky kids, man, for like two years. That'll sanctify you. And then what happens? And then you send them off to school. And then you're doing homework and carpool and science projects. And then you get to prom. And then you get to who's asking who and who's not asking who. And then you have to wade through. I don't even know what Instagram or Snapchat is. How do I even navigate this area of parenting? And then you've got ACTs and SATs. And then you've got who they're going to marry and not going to marry. And then what job are they going to take? It is exhausting. The parenting cliche is true. The days are long, but the years are short. The second thing it means, because our children have the imprint of sin, is this. We are going to be heartbroken by them. They have never been easy since the fall. Since sin entered the world, the curse entered the world. And what's the curse of Genesis 3? That in pain you shall bring forth children And our first parents had one child murder the other. Because our children are fallen, we will be heartbroken by them. What else does it mean? It means that we are going to be desperate for our fallen children. Do you realize that they are not believers? And they need the overwhelming, all-conquering power of new birth in Jesus Christ. If you don't understand that both you and the child are sinners, you will exercise a flawed training program from inception and you will be shocked and not able to understand when they make stupid choices. I have three beautiful boys, but they are rebels and they are sinners. And apart from grace intervening and cutting the umbilical cord with their sin, they uh, are destined to be separated from Christ. Do you know and accept your child's moral and spiritual state apart from grace? Do you know and understand that inside your children there are souls that will live for eternity either in the presence of Christ or in the absence of Christ. This is the context of parents and children. We are sinners in need of grace. Congregational participation time again. Children and youth, look at all the adults around you with a smile on your face. Say, I am in need of the cleansing blood of Jesus. Say it. Excellent. I heard parents say amen. Now parents, it's your turn. Look at your children and the youth and every adult in this room. Turn and look at all those young faces and say, I am in need of the cleansing blood of Jesus too. More on that in a minute. That's powerful. So how do sinners in need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ relate? One word, third building block, grace. The Father offers parents and children grace. We are redeemed. Look at Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, 
making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will what? You will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In Proverbs 4, 8 and 9, prize her wisdom highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Graceful garland, beautiful crown. Those are pictures of victory. Of victory over enemies. Children, if you seek the fear of the Lord, if you experience gospel wonder and awe at the grace of God, then you will have victory over sin and death and you will have life. Parents, if you seek the wisdom of the Lord, you will experience hope and protection and joy and strength through what? Through the delight and the despair of your children. So then the question becomes, how do we as parents and children receive the grace that we need? We receive the grace we need by faith from the perfect parent who sent the faithful son. See, the faithful son is described in Proverbs chapter 4 as what? The perfect son who perfectly heeded his father's instruction who kept his heart pure, who spoke only as his father directed, who followed his father's path, who performed all the work his father gave him, who gave his life for his brothers and sisters. Now, I don't know about you, but that does not describe me. (laughs) That's only talking about one human in all of history, and his name was Jesus. He was the only perfect true and noble son and through his life death and resurrection he enables us to be treated as the perfect son he will bring many sons and daughters to glory let me illustrate it this way my wife loves the olympics it means i love the olympics right now even when it's random crazy sports The first Olympic moment that I remember watching was in 1992. Maybe some of you remember it in Barcelona. There was a runner from Great Britain by the name of Derek Redmond. He was running the 400 meters. And if you knew about Derek's story, you would know that at the prior Olympics, he blew out his Achilles tendon and he was unable to run. He had five surgeries and had been training for an additional four years and now he was running the 400 meters again. The race started and he jumped out to an early lead but halfway around the track pop his hamstring went he falls to the ground in agony and pain. As he gets up and tries to stumble towards the finish line a man jumps out of the stands pushes aside security comes to Derek puts his arm around him and helps him stumble across the finish line. 
After the most runners had finished, the crowd noticed this man and Derek staggering toward the finish line. And as he crossed the finish line, almost 60,000 people stood up and gave them a standing ovation. The man who jumped out of the stands was his father. And you know what he basically said to him when he got to his son? He said, I'm here and we'll finish together. And his son wept and sobbed across the finish line. You know what Jesus might say about that story? I think this is what he might say about it in Matthew 7. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Derek's father, his earthly father, was amazing. But our heavenly father is even more amazing. Because, you see, we didn't even start the race. We weren't even staggering or stumbling in life. But we were dead in our trespasses from the beginning. And you know what he did? He sent another runner. He sent his son to run the race, to live the life. And do you know where his son finished? In first place. And then do you know what he offers us? He says, you can trade places with him. And we go to the podium and we put on his colors and he puts a crown on our head and a gold medal around our neck and we don't just have the applause of 60,000 but we have the applause of heaven. That's what the Father, the Heavenly Father offers us. I love the way Charles Spurgeon puts it. Believer, you are happy when God blesses you, but not as happy as God is. You are glad when you are pardoned, but he who pardons you is more glad. The prodigal son was happy to see his father, but not as delighted as his father was to see him. I love this line. His heart was larger than his son's. The father's heart is larger than his son's. Parents, When you are parented by a heavenly father like that, you will be equipped and enabled to parent like him. And children, it's good news. We have a heavenly father who welcomes prodigals home. Children and parents, you're not perfect. You weren't perfect. You won't ever be perfect. We fall short in every way. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus didn't. We have a Savior who accomplished every law required of us. And you know this is the most important thing, right? Nothing delights the godly parent more than seeing your child know the Lord. It's why Proverbs 23, 25 says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. And parents and godly parents, you also know that nothing will challenge you more than seeing your child despise the Lord. Proverbs 20.20 If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Parents and church, let me ask you a question this morning. What is your ultimate purpose in parenting? If one thing could work out for your children or your family, what is it? 
I would submit to you a really good mission statement actually comes from Harvard. Their mission statement from 1643 is, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Now there's a mission statement for children's ministry, for a society, for family, for higher education. And I would just add for us, let every student and every parent lay Christ in the bottom to be the foundation for everything. Friends, what does this mean? Just a few last thoughts. Because the Father offers us all the grace that we require, keep these things in mind. That children are given to us to bring us to the end of ourselves. To realize that we cannot control the things that matter most so that we are desperate for Jesus. Children may be born foolish and helpless, but parents, we're truly the needy ones. God will use the problems of our children to deepen our dependence on Him. Another thing that this means that we have the grace that we require is that children do not need a parent with all the answers, but a parent with the humility to say, no one needs the gospel more than me. You see, when you look at your child and you look them in the eyes and you tell them, I am in need of the cleansing blood of Jesus, and you mean that, do you know how powerful it is for a mother or a parent, 50, 60, 70, 89, 90 years old, to be softened by the gospel and to go to an adult child and to say, I'm, in so, I'm so sorry. I need grace. And I'm grateful for Jesus. Do you know how powerful that is? Here's another thing to think about. Children, our children do not need perfect parents, but they need parents that admit their sins You know why? Because it will leave space for our children to admit theirs. If our children only experience our facade of perfection, then they will never feel comfortable confessing and and telling you where they have fallen short. I'm not saying that you should inappropriately confess your sins to your children, but it's really powerful that after I screw up, when I sneak into my kid's room at night and I tell them, you know, Daddy shouldn't have yelled, shouldn't have gotten angry in that moment. I'm a sinner and I'm in need of the cleansing blood of Jesus just like you. Let's pray for that. Do you know how powerful that is in our children? That will never cease to be powerful. Let us be the first ones to receive and admit our need of grace. One of the things we learned in our preaching class, when you say something really hard, quote another preacher. And so I'm going to quote another preacher that says something really hard. Alistair Begg says, When children hear godliness from my mouth and see wickedness in my life, then I point them to heaven and lead them to hell. When children hear godliness from my mouth 
and see wickedness in my life, then I point them to heaven and lead them to hell. Many of you know that my father was a pastor. And one of the saving graces in my life, that as I experienced and and saw just some hard things in church, the saving grace in my life that my father was the same man in the pulpit as he was at home. You see, our lives and our lips need to both proclaim the grace of Jesus Christ. The three building blocks for any society, any family, any church. Children are a glorious gift. They're imprinted with sin. And God provides all the grace that we need. Let me close with this story. Last week I shared about my Mima who grew up in the orphanage in Warren, Ohio and became this woman of grace loved well by my grandfather who had a lifetime disposition of celebration. I want to tell you how she became a Christian. See, she wasn't raised with parents. She wasn't raised in a Christian home. She wasn't even raised in a Christian orphanage. But when she was in junior high, a Christian woman, Mrs. Baldwin, paid for her and some other girls to go to a camp in junior high. And at this camp, she met Jesus And she received the grace that was offered to her. And Mrs. Baldwin, this Christian woman, from that point forward would pick her up every Sunday and take her to church. The camp director heard about my Meemaw. And so Mrs. Powell, the camp director, paid for her to go to college in memory of her son who had died in World War II. Her camp counselor... Miss McCluskey became her spiritual mother, her mentor. And so in college, she would come home to Miss McCluskey and be instructed by her and discipled by her. After she graduated from college, she would go to live with Miss McCluskey. And at the miracle book club that Miss McCluskey was leading, my grandmother would meet her husband, my papa. These three godly women loved that orphan so well and changed her life. The father of Derek Redmond loved him well. And do we realize that their love pales in comparison with the love that our Heavenly Father has for us? Let that change you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we talk about children... So many emotions can come up within us. So Father, I pray that for those who are feeling guilt, Lord, I pray that they would know the depth of the love of the Father. Lord, for those who have self-pity, for those that have grief, Lord, I pray that in this moment, they would know the depth of the love of the Father. And Lord, for those of us who may have felt unwanted or unloved as children or even now, I pray that they would know the depth of the love of the Father. Father, help us to experience your grace so that everything changes. In Jesus' name, amen.